0: Chapter 2, Part 1, of Pioneer Work in Opening the Medical Profession to Women, by Elizabeth Blackwell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2, Part 1, Earning Money for Medical Study, 1845-1847. The Idea Taking Shape When I returned from the Kentucky engagement, the family had removed to the pleasant suburb of Walnut Hills, where the well-known Lane Theological Seminary, under the direction of the Beechers and Professor Stowe, was situated. This healthy place, with its intellectual resources, became the home for many years. I found the family sharing a delightful house with the Reverend Mr. and Mrs. Vale, to whom it belonged, who, with their charming daughter and the professor and elder students of the seminary, formed a very intelligent society. It was during the residence of the family on Walnut Hills that the noble-hearted woman, Lucy Stone, became the wife of an elder brother of mine. My brothers were engaged in business, my sisters variously occupied, the family life was full and active, and for a while I keenly enjoyed the return home. But I soon felt the want of a more engrossing pursuit than the study of music, German, and metaphysics, and the ordinary interests that social life presented. It was at this time that the suggestion of studying medicine was first presented to me by a lady friend. This friend finally died of a painful disease, the delicate nature of which made the methods of treatment a constant suffering to her. She once said to me, You are fond of study, have health and leisure. Why not study medicine? If I could have been treated by a lady doctor, my worst sufferings would have been spared me. But I at once repudiated the suggestion as an impossible one, saying that I hated everything connected with the body and could not bear the sight of a medical book. This was so true that I had been always foolishly ashamed of any form of illness. When attacked many years before by intermittent fever, I desperately tried to walk off the deadly chill, and when unable to do so, shut myself up alone in a dark room till the stage of fever was over with a feeling that such subjection to disease was contemptible. As a schoolgirl, I had tried to harden the body by sleeping on the floor at night, and even passing a couple of days without food, with the foolish notion of thus subduing one's physical nature. I had been horrified also during my school days, by seeing a bullock's eye resting on its cushion of rather bloody fat, by means of which one of the professors wished to interest his class in the wonderful structure of the eye. Physiology, thus taught, became extremely distasteful to me. My favorite studies were history and metaphysics, And the very thought of dwelling on the physical structure of the body and its various ailments filled me with disgust. So I resolutely tried for weeks to put the idea suggested by my friend away, but it constantly recurred to me. Other circumstances forced upon me the necessity of devoting myself to some absorbing occupation. "'I became impatient of the disturbing influence exercised by the other sex. "'I had always been extremely susceptible to this influence. "'I never remember the time from my first adoration at seven years old "'of a little boy with rosy cheeks and flaxen curls "'when I had not suffered more or less from the common malady— Falling in love. But whenever I became sufficiently intimate with any individual to be able to realize what a life association might mean, I shrank from the prospect, disappointed or repelled. I find in my journal of that time the following sentence, written during an acute attack. I felt more determined than ever, to become a physician, and thus place a strong barrier between me and all ordinary marriage. I must have something to engross my thoughts, some object in life which will fill this vacuum and prevent this sad wearing away of the heart. But the struggle with natural repugnance to the medical line of life was so strong THAT I HESITATED TO PASS THE RUBICON, AND FOUGHT MANY A SEVERE BATTLE WITH MYSELF ON THE SUBJECT. AT THIS TIME I HAD NOT THE SLIGHTEST IDEA OF HOW TO BECOME A PHYSICIAN, OR OF THE COURSE OF STUDY NECESSARY FOR THIS PURPOSE. As the idea seemed to gain force, however, I wrote to and consulted with several physicians known to my family in various parts of the country as to the possibility of a lady becoming a doctor. The answers I received were curiously unanimous. They all replied to the effect that the idea was a good one, but that it was impossible to accomplish it, that there was no way of obtaining such an education for a woman, that the education required was long and expensive, that there were innumerable obstacles in the way of such a course, and that, in short, the idea, though a valuable one, was impossible of execution. This verdict, however, no matter from how great an authority, was rather an encouragement than otherwise to a young and active person who needed an absorbing occupation. If an idea, I reasoned, were really a valuable one, there must be some way of realizing it. The idea of winning a doctor's degree gradually assumed the aspect of a great moral struggle, and the moral fight possessed immense attraction for me. This moral aspect of the subject was increased by a circumstance which made a very strong impression on me. There was at that time a certain Madame Rastel flourishing in New York. This person was a noted abortionist and known all over the country. She was a woman of great ability and defended her course in the public papers. She made a large fortune, drove a fine carriage, had a pew in a fashionable church, and though often arrested, was always bailed out by her patrons. She was known distinctively as a female physician, a term exclusively applied at that time to those women who carried on her vile occupation. Now, I had always felt a great reverence for maternity, the mighty creative power which more than any other human faculty seemed to bring womanhood nearer the divine. The first serious essay I ever attempted was on the motherhood of the race or spiritual maternity, that great fact of universal love and service which is the formative principle striving to express itself in the lower physical manifestations. The gross perversion and destruction of motherhood by the abortionist filled me with indignation and awakened active antagonism. That the honorable term female physician should be exclusively applied to those women who carried on this shocking trade seemed to me a horror. It was an utter degradation of what might and should become a noble position for women. Being at that time a reader of Swedenborg, and strongly impressed by his vivid representations of the unseen world, I finally determined to do what I could to redeem the hells, and especially the one form of hell thus forced upon my notice. My journals of those days, 1845, are full of the various difficulties encountered as this determination took root. I find it written: "Doctor Muzzy, a well-known Cincinnati doctor, was horrified at the idea of a woman's going to the Parisian schools which he visited some years ago, and he declares that the method of instruction was such that no American or English lady could stay there six weeks. Mrs. Beecher Stowe thought, after conversation with Professor Stowe, that my idea was impracticable, though she confessed, after some talk, that if carried out it might be highly useful. She also spoke of the strong prejudice which would exist which I must either crush or be crushed by. I felt a little disappointed at her judgment and the hopelessness of all help from Dr. M. I resolved to write to Dr. Cox, our family physician, when we lived in the East, as a last hope for the present. Sunday, May 4th I read my letter to Dr. Cox to Mrs. Vale, who sympathizes strongly with my desire. She stated Dr. Peck's opinion of the impossibility of a lady studying in Paris, but asserts that the most thorough education can be obtained in private. I will not, however, make up my mind too hastily on so important a subject. Wednesday, the 14th. I mentioned my plan to Mr. Perkins. He talked it over a little and then said with a bright face, I do wish you would take the matter up, if you have the courage, and you have the courage, I know. So invigorating was his judgment that I felt at the moment as if I could conquer the world. He offered with real interest to obtain the opinion of the Boston physician's to talk with Dr. Avery, and lent me a book of Jackson's memoirs, which gives much information relative to the French schools. But a little later it is written. I felt cold and gloomy all day, read in Jackson's memoirs, and felt almost disheartened at the immensity of the field before me. I hesitate, as if I were about to take the veil, but I am gradually coming up to the resolution. Again, it is written, I heard an admirable sermon from Mr. Giles, an English minister, on Christian worship. Very logical, full of poetry, some of the sentences so perfect that I held my breath till they were finished. I thought much on my future course, and turned for aid to that friend with whom I am beginning to hold true communion. It cannot be my fancy. Jesus Christ must be a living spirit, and have the power of communicating with us, for one thought towards him dispels all evil, and earnest, continued thought produces peace unspeakable may twentieth.-Harry brought me home last evening a letter from Doctor Cox. My hand trembled as I took it. It was kind, giving the necessary information, but perfectly non committal as to advice. I carried the letter over this morning to the lady friend who had promised to help me pecuniarily. I made up my mind fully to undertake the study if she fulfilled her promise, and already I felt separated from the rest of womankind. I trembled and hoped together. But alas for promises and plans. She offered to lend me one hundred dollars, when I am told that I shall want three thousand dollars. I did not express my disappointment, but asked who would be likely to assist further. She did not know, but thought the plan I had suggested of teaching and laying up money for a few years decidedly the best. Thrown thus entirely on my own resources, I finally resolved to accept a teacher's position in a school in North Carolina— where, whilst accumulating money for future use, I could also commence a trial of medical study for the Reverend John Dixon, who was principal of the school, had previously been a doctor. My old diary of those years, still existent, vividly portrays the anxiety and painful effort with which I left the family circle and ordinary social life, and took the first step in my future medical career. I felt that I was severing the usual ties of life, and preparing to act against my strongest natural inclinations. But a force stronger than myself then and afterwards seemed to lead me on. A purpose was before me which I must inevitably seek to accomplish." My own family showed the warmest sympathy with my plans. It was before the time of railways. The roads through Kentucky were little traveled. Several rivers had to be forded and three lines of mountains to be crossed. Two of my brothers determined to drive me to my unknown destination amongst the mountains of North Carolina— So the carriage was packed with books and comforts for the eleven days' journey, and on June sixteenth, 1845, with loving goodbyes and some tears, in spite of strong efforts to restrain them, I left home for Asheville, North Carolina, to begin preparation for my unknown career. End of Chapter 2, Part 1